Welcome to Digging In with Missouri Farm Bureau. I'm Spencer Tuma, Director of National Legislative Programs. Today, we're fortunate to be joined by U.S. Senator Josh Hawley, Missouri's junior senator. Senator Hawley, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Senator, we know your schedule is really busy and your time is valuable. Um, I know this is actually not your first time serving as an interviewee on our podcast, and we certainly have a lot of listeners throughout the state who are familiar with you and your background. But for those who might be new here uh, or might be from other states listening, can you just tell us a little bit about yourself and your background and your journey to the U.S. Senate? Oh, sure. Well, I am from rural Missouri. I grew up in Lexington, Missouri over in Lafayette County. Uh, They're right on the Missouri River Mm -hmm. and uh, lived there until I uh, went off to college. It's a great place to grow up. I come from a farming family by background. My mom's whole side of the family are farmers, corn, soybeans, uh, wheat, uh, a little bit of Milo. And then uh, I married a ranching girl. My wife, Erin, who's originally from New Mexico, uh, comes from a ranching family, a cow-calf operation out in New Mexico. Uh, So uh, she's generation number six, I believe it is, six or seven, born to the ranch. So my boys have, I've got, we've got two little boys in Almond, so they've got uh, agriculture in both sides of their, of their bloodstream. So uh, we hope that they'll have a great love for the outdoors and a great love for agriculture. And it's a great honor for me to get to represent our farmers and ranchers in Missouri here in the United States Senate. Absolutely. Well, we know uh, our farmers and ranchers and members of Farm Bureau are are certainly glad to have you in your current position, Uh, kind of jumping right into various issues. You know, certainly 2020 has been, I I would say, an interesting year, to say the least, Uh, not only in ag policy, but I I would say in lawmaking across the board. Uh, So from your perspective, I guess we'll kick it off talking just a little bit about the whole pandemic how do you feel that COVID-19 has impacted lawmaking? What, I guess, what's it like to be a U.S. senator during a global pandemic? Well, you know, it's been an interesting few months in Washington. I think you've seen uh, some of the good and also some of the bad in Washington, D.C. And I think we, Congress and the president were able to come together and move pretty quickly at the beginning of the pandemic back in March on a very significant relief package that included a lot of help, timely help to farmers and ranchers in our state and across the country that I think was vital. And uh, I think that was a a good, strong step that I hope has helped alleviate. It has by no means uh, gotten rid of or uh, uh, obviated the suffering that folks have gone through, but I Mm -hmm. hope it's made it a little less bad. But, you know, since then, you've seen some, I think, of some of the frustrations in D.C. Certainly, I have seen them and that uh, we've not been able to get the Democrats to to come with us uh, to get anything more accomplished, really, in in a big way uh, since then. And we've been able to do a few fixes here and there, but there's a lot of need out there. We still have folks who uh, want to hire back uh, workers and help and don't have the means to do that. We we have got people who are in the unemployment line and want to get back to work. We've got a lot of folks uh, who don't have access right now. Uh, to broadband, mm-hmm. uh, to Wi-Fi, you know, who are uh, distance learning, having to do telehealth because of the situation with our hospitals. So there's a lot of need that COVID has brought to the surface that I think we need to address both in the short term and the long term. And I hope that that's something that uh, I can convince my colleagues to work on. Certainly those issues as it relates to strengthening our farm families going forward, making sure that our rural hospitals Uh, and providers are strong for those communities and uh, making sure that folks get access 
in our state to broadband, no matter where they live. It shouldn't be just because you grow up in a small town like where I grew up in that, uh, you know, you have to go to the local McDonald's or something in order to do your homework. I mean, people need to have quality broadband access. And this is becoming a major, major issue going forward. COVID, I think, has helped bring that to the surface. Absolutely. I'm glad you brought up broadband. Um, That's actually one of the things I was hoping to get your thoughts on. Um, I know that you do a lot of work in the technology space as as well as broadband. And certainly, as you mentioned, the pandemic has has brought to the surface the concerns that we in rural Missouri have known about for a long time with regards to broadband. And, And I think if there's one good thing that can come out of this entire situation, it's that people are paying more attention to broadband access and availability and and what areas in their region may have service and what areas may not. And I think in some cases that would really surprise some people to learn that. Um, What are your thoughts? I know the Senate and the House are are trying to come together on a relief bill at this point. I'm not sure if we're calling it CARES 2 or Phase 4 or or, or what have you, but um, there is some talk that there will be some money in there for broadband deployment. I guess any comments you want to make on that whole process? And I will say with a well, caveat that um, this is as of September 15th, so a lot can change. So that's, that's certainly true. I think when it comes to broadband, unfortunately, one thing that we have not seen change uh, is, is the access that uh, so many folks in rural parts of our state, and to be honest, in, in other rural places in America, the lack of access to broadband has been a constant. And we've made progress. We've made some incremental progress. But the truth is, we've really got to make a lot more progress and we've got to make it fast. And, and the COVID situation has really, really highlighted that. You've got kids who for months couldn't go to school. Uh, if you didn't have uh, broadband access, Wi-Fi access in your house, uh, this was a huge detriment. I mean, how are you supposed to keep up with assignments uh, if you were not able to, uh, to plug in and, and to uh, telework, as they say, that you were at a severe disadvantage? And, uh, you know, one positive thing about that, I suppose, is it opened the eyes of a lot of the nation mm-hmm. to circumstances faced by rural communities in Missouri and elsewhere every single day. And that's one of the reasons why I wrote to the chairman of the FCC, Chairman Pai, back in March and asked him to prioritize access to affordable broadband to rural America, to put that at the top of the FCC's agenda. The truth is that we need to do a lot more. We need to make sure that there is funding, but also that there is a nationwide execution strategy to deliver affordable broadband, beginning with our, our underserved rural areas, mm-hmm. and to do it quickly. And I, I have to tell you, I'm frustrated with the pace. I've only been here a year and a half, but I'm frustrated with the pace of the deployment. And I think we've got to work hard to speed that up. That's definitely been a frustration in rural Missouri as well. A lot of the awards that are that are given out over over <clears throat> through the state and federal government, quite frankly, uh, they're given out over a long period of time. And, and we certainly appreciate the attention that's being paid, but that doesn't help us get broadband in the near future necessarily. So I, I agree that's something we definitely want to continue to see addressed. And that dovetails right into rural health care. You know, in rural Missouri, we've seen some hospital closures, both prior to your time in the Senate and, and beyond. Um, I would say from a Farm Bureau perspective, as it, as it relates to more non-ag issues, just issues facing rural citizens, I would say healthcare is among the top issues I hear about from our membership when out in the countryside. Uh, but telehealth, there's certainly a bright spot there. What are your thoughts on the status of healthcare and um, and where we might be able to go with telehealth if we look at that moving forward? 
Well, I think, again, COVID-19 has really highlighted just how important that these rural service providers to little hospitals are for us in Missouri and, again, for the places around the country. And, and having grown up in a rural area, I can attest to that. We had a hospital, still do, in Lexington, uh, where I grew up. And, and uh, you know, it, it's a lifeline for the community uh, in a very real way. I mean, people literally depend on it. Um, and uh, for the region, of course, not just the town. Uh, but the entire region, and that's true across our state, whether it's Mid-Mo or CMO or Southwest Missouri or uh, Northern Missouri. So uh, this is one of the reasons why I have asked the, the Secretary of Health and Human Services uh, to prioritize rural hospitals with the money that Congress has appropriated for hospital relief. We appropriated mm -hmm. $75 billion as part of that first relief package, the first big relief package back in March, and I think it is absolutely vital that rural providers get prioritized in that funding, not least because of the unique challenges and costs that rural providers face. And when I say get prioritized, I think they ought to be getting at least 20% of that money, of that $175 billion. So I think that, that is a, that's something we need right now. We think about the immediate term. We need funding for rural hospitals to keep them open, to keep them operating. Of course, they also need to be getting their share mm -hmm. of a per personal protective equipment and the, the other uh, tools to help fight uh, this pandemic and stay open during the pandemic. So that's critical. Now, yes, about telehealth. I, I think there actually, we've got, we've seen the importance of telehealth over the last six months. Right. A lot of people have, have relied on it. Uh, that's a bright spot. I think the possibility for telehealth playing a really constructive role in our rural areas going forward, um, I think is, is a strong one. Uh, but of course now telehealth depends on, what we were talking about just a second, depends on fast and reliable internet. Mm -hmm. And this is another reason why a broadband deployment and affordable access has got to be at the top of the priority list for rural Missouri. Uh, it, from a policy perspective, it just has to be. You cannot have telehealth that's effective in any way unless you have widespread, affordable broadband internet access. So those two things go together, and I think we've got to, to fight hard here as part of what I'm doing, and certainly what I see as my responsibility to do, to fight hard to see that, that rural Missouri gets those things. I would agree, and, and I certainly think that healthcare and broadband are two things. As, as we look forward and we try to think about readiness and preparedness, if, if God forbid, something like this were to happen again in, in the future, if we invest in these kind of industries and these kind of technologies, at least we'll be better prepared. I mean, we, we hope that nothing like this happens again, certainly not in the near future, uh, but I think it, it's important that we take a look at what we've learned and, and try to invest in technologies and industries that that build upon making us more successful. So, um, Senator, I want to move to trade really quickly. I know that um, you're certainly very active on um, foreign policy and, and with China in particular, I, I know that you're very active uh, in making sure they're held accountable for various things. Uh, but from an agriculture perspective, we really pay a lot of attention to the phase one trade deal with China. I guess just wanted to get your thoughts. Things with China are, are tense right now, particularly in, in part because of the pandemic, but there's certainly some other reasons as well. Um, where do you see that relationship going and, and what's your take on the phase one trade deal? Well, I think the phase one trade deal is a, is a great success. The administration was able to negotiate that, that most people, certainly most critics said would never happen. Mm -hmm. The president would never, just like they said, we could never renegotiate NAFTA and make it any better. And in fact, the president did renegotiate NAFTA. It is better. It is better for Missouri workers. It's better for Missouri farmers and ranchers. 
uh, Missouri dairy producer. So uh, I think that similarly with the phase one deal uh, is uh, something the president really had great success in negotiating. Now, here's the here's the key thing, though. Is China going to implement it? Right. And that's the big fight now. I think we have got to use every means available to hold China's feet to the fire and make sure that they actually implement this deal they've agreed to. And I have to tell you, already uh, the president has told me that China is trying to renege on key aspects of the deal. They've tried to reopen up a, a settled portion. I mean, the whole deal is settled. He, according to him, they tried to renegotiate uh, portions of it already. That, unfortunately, is pretty much par for the course when it comes to China. They never abide by the deals that they make, and then they try to use – uh, the international trade system and groups like the WTO to to uh, protect them uh, and to let them wiggle out of these deals. So I think right now this is the deal is struck. It is important to our state. We've got to make sure that they actually abide by it, and we need to have every uh, enforcement tool at our disposal and be prepared to use them to see that they abide by it. I will say this, Spencer, thinking more broadly. You know, our relationship with China, I suspect, is not going to get any less complicated. Mm -hmm than it is now, any less fraud. China is a, is a competitor to us, and they're increasingly assertive. They want, to, uh, they want to shut us out of their market and the entire region. We cannot allow that to happen. I mean, for the sake of our farmers and producers in our state, we simply cannot afford to be shut out of all of these markets overseas. That would be disastrous for us, and that means we've got to seek out other trading partners and not just rely on China or allow China to call the tune such that uh, they've got better relationships with other trading partners than we do. So we've got to look, I think, to a range of new trading partners. We've got to be willing to renegotiate old trade deals and get better ones. Uh, that's really got to be part of our future. Absolutely. You know, we're paying a lot of attention to negotiations with the United Kingdom right now, especially post-Brexit. Um, any other thoughts on some potential trading partners or any anything you can share about what might be on the horizon in regards to new trade deals? Well, the UK, I agree with you, is absolutely key. We should look at, uh, with uh, a, a working class and middle class that is growing larger and larger. Uh, and Vietnam, Australia, and other Asian nations. I mean, I think that there's, there's ample opportunity. We, we shouldn't be... Uh, shy about conducting bilateral negotiations. I think, listen, my view is, is that we should use whatever form is going to be actually good for American workers and American farmers, every form of trade deal that is. So I, I think the old system where you've got to do uh, massive multilateral deals, you've got to use the auspices of the WTO, you, we don't have to do any of that. What we have to do is get deals that are actually good for Americans and that actually work for us, that open up those markets on fair and equal terms and that are enforceable in the long term. So I think that we've got to go after these new and emerging markets. I think we should use bilateral agreements wherever we can. And I think we've got to not be shy about including in our new agreements actual enforcement terms so that if a nation violates the term or isn't living up to our partner, then we have ways to enforce those. Uh, and it's not just to some arbitration panel uh, at a multilateral institution where it takes years and years and we don't ever get a good result. Absolutely. No, I really appreciate your perspective on that. Um, moving, I know we are we are wrapping up, closing in on our time here, but a couple other things just wanted to touch on for our listeners. You know, we've talked about the pandemic and its impact on the overall economy. 
livestock producers were really hit hard, particularly at the beginning of the pandemic, but, but continue to be hit hard. Uh, we saw instances of prices at the grocery store being astronomically high, while farmers and ranchers received record low prices for their livestock products. Uh, what are your thoughts on that situation? And, and is there anything you can share from a, from a packer concentration perspective with our listeners? Well, I've been hugely critical of packer concentration, and I think that this crisis of the last few months has illustrated why it's a problem. And for a lot of Americans, you know, we're always working, for those of us who, who come from farming states or come from farming families, we, we're, we've always got to be mindful that, you know, and, and it's, it's, we see this every day in our experience. Most people now uh, in the country don't have any relationship to farming. They don't have any contact with it. When you have a crisis like COVID and all of a sudden, they're paying consumers are paying a lot more at the grocery store they begin to understand why things like packing concentration really matter and they understand why farmers family farmers mid-sized farmers why those folks are really important because we don't eat mm -hmm. without them and that's why it is absolutely vital that we make sure that this packing concentration with one or two sets of hands where farmers don't have good options uh, to sell their product. What we saw with COVID, of course, is that when you have these, these these conglomerate packers, if they've got a problem in their plant and they've got to shut down, the whole supply chain shuts down. We just simply can't afford that happening going forward. It's terrible for consumers. It's terrible for farmers who have no effective competition in terms of selling their product and bringing it to market. So I've asked the Department of Justice and also the Federal Trade Commission uh, to open investigations into concentration in the packing industry. Uh, we expect there to be uh, open and fair competition in every other industry in America. We should expect it when it comes to these industries and these supply chains as well. And it's, it's absolutely vital to the future of our farmers. Certainly appreciate your comments on that topic. And I know I speak on behalf of a lot of livestock farmers when I say we appreciate your attention to that matter and, and weighing in with the Department of Justice uh, Senator, we've, we've covered a lot of ground, and I know that you are out in Washington and have a very busy schedule. Before we wrap up, uh, we are going to move to our Missouri Farm Bureau question of the week. Um, so the question today is, if you had to eat one meal every single day for the rest of your life, what would it be? Describe in detail. Uh, oh, my goodness. Well, it would probably be Missouri beets. If I had to be honest with you, and uh, do I have to be specific? I would take it in any form, Spencer. So I'd eat it as steak. I love steak. I'd eat it as hamburger. I love it on the grill. I love it uh, on the. I love it. I love it fried. But I, it, it would be. I'm. I. I love. I love beef. It's my favorite. Uh, it's my favorite protein. And uh, Missouri beef is the best in the world. All right. Well, that's certainly not a bad answer at all. I. Um, I definitely appreciate that. So. Um, Senator, before we wrap up, any closing comments before we sign off for the day? I just want to say to, to all of our farmers and ranchers out there, thank you as always for what you're doing. Thank you for feeding this country into this crisis. You're being an example to the world of what perseverance looks like. And to thank you for preserving and living that way of life that you do that I really think represents the best of America. It's a great privilege to get to represent you. Well, we're certainly appreciative of all the work you do to advocate for our members each and every day in the U.S. Senate. Senator, thank you so much for joining us, and hopefully we'll be able to catch up with you in person soon. Thanks so much.